0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to be talking NFL playoffs with Matt Verderan from Side. It was an interesting weekend in the playoffs. Three blowouts, though we ended up with those blowouts in different fashions. We also had a close game in Seattle and Green Bay. I'll talk all about that with Matt and preview the conference championship rounds in just a bit. Also making our conference championship picks on the podcast with Patriots fan Ian Sachs. Last week I had a good week on the picks. I went 3-1. Look to keep the momentum going through the next round of the playoffs as we do the picks. So Ian, in lieu of a two-minute drill this week, again, I know two-minute drill fans, I'm sorry, I'm not doing another one, but longer and here, we're going to preview the upcoming Australian Open with fan size Veronica Bruno. We're going to break down the big star lines on the men's side, the women's side, give you some picks for the Australian Open. But, up next, this week's opening tip, when I break down the Joe Judge hire with assistance from Joe Judge himself with, through the clips from the press conference right after this.
1: Well, maybe I can explain that a little bit better, but instead of saying who am I, by telling you what's relevant in this conversation with being a coach of the New York Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old-school physical mentality, okay? We're going to put a product on the field – that the people of this city and region will be proud of because this team will represent this area. We will play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive, we'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it is a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude.
0: All right, we are back with this opening tip. You just heard some of Joe Judge's introductory press conference courtesy of the New York Giants YouTube channel. Joe Judge, the newest head coach of the New York football giants, and not a hire that was expected, for sure. Most Giants wanted Mike McCarthy or Matt Rule. The Giants passed on both, hired Joe Judge, because they say that he blew away in the interview, and after watching him at the press conference, I can see why. The man won the press conference like very few do in this town, and I will say nobody really heard of him before this. After the press conference, everyone loved Joe Judge, including me. And I think they did a good job with his hire based on what he's saying and all that. I know words mean nothing. Actions prove out a lot more. But Joe Judge said all the right things in this press conference. I mean, let's go bit by bit here. I pulled a bunch of things from the press conference and interview he did with Joe Benigno and Evan Roberts. So let's go through point by point here what I like about Joe Judge. We will start with the fact that Joe Judge, he wants to have a team that his fans can be proud of.
1: I want the people that pay their hard-earned money in the neighborhoods of New York, North Jersey, South Jersey, to come to our games and note the players on the field play with the same attitude they wake up with every morning. That is blue-collar. It's hard work. It's in your face. We're not going to back down from anybody. We're going to come to work every day and grind it out the way they do in their jobs every day. And they can invest their money in our program knowing it's worthwhile, they put a Giants uniform on, they put a Giants hat or jersey on, that it's not representing just the 53 on the field, but it's representing their neighborhoods, their communities, and their families with the values they have instilled in their children.
0: That is awesome stuff right there. The fact he goes out of his way to point out that the fans, you know, invest a lot of money in this team and that he wants his fans to be proud to root for the New York Giants. That's not something we often hear out of a coach. They often pretend that, you know, all the fans don't exist – We don't need them. He knows that the fans are an important part of the organization, and the fact he wants to make them proud to be New York Giant fans, great stuff. Another thing I love about Joe Judge, the emphasis on the fundamentals. Let's go to that next.
1: The margins of error in this league are too small. You cannot get by with some kind of magic scheme or new gimmick or think you've reinvented the wheel. The same things win football games that have always won football games. It's fundamentals. And those fundamentals will start for us in the classroom. They'll start with being at meetings on time. They'll start with being on the field on time, in the proper dress. They'll start with knowing your playbook. They'll start with being out there and stretching the right way and warming your body up the right way that you prevent any kind of soft tissue injuries on the field. And then they'll carry over to the fundamentals on the field. It's running, it's tackling, it's ball security, okay? It's a contact sport. You can't get around that.
0: You know who he reminds me of right there with the timeliness and the ball security and doing things the right way? sounds a lot like Tom Coughlin right there with the attention to detail, the little things, the fundamentals. Like, those are big Tom Coughlin-isms. And Giant fans, remember, Tom Coughlin won you two Super Bowls and did a good job here. He often gets forgotten because of the end, which was not great. But if he brings a little of that Coughlin attitude back, that's great stuff for the Giants. Judge also wants the Giants to be a very physical team. Let's hear a little bit about that. It's
1: meant to be a physical game. It's for tough people. We will practice with a physical attitude. We will practice in pads. We will practice live tackling. Not to make a statement that we're trying to be tough. We're going to practice live tackling because I believe in doing it safely. You want to make your players safer? You start by instructing them how to do it. And we're going to work on everything we do. And everything we ask them to do at full speed on Sunday at a competitive level, we're going to make sure that we have practiced, corrected, and repracticed before they have to do it at a live pace.
0: Again, this is very old school football guy, combined with the new age of, you know, concerned about player safety and teaching the right way and stuff like that. The league will be thrilled to hear that because the league is trying to make the sport safer. And every of the players that were at this press conference, the former players, basically said, I'm ready to run through a wall and play for this guy. He gets it. And that's the kind of attitude you want to get with this football team. You have a lot of big-time talent here in terms of you have some young skill position players who are good. You have a quarterback that you think is the real deal. Putting a good coach in here should help make this a lot, lot better. Let's also go ahead to some interesting stuff that he mentioned in his interview with Joe Benning and Evan Roberts. One thing I think strikes an appeal to... A lot of the modern NFL is that Joe Judge Lee's you need to actually coach the entire team. I want to be the head football coach of the team.
1: I don't want to be the head offensive coach or the head defensive coach. You know, there's no no shots or nothing wrong with that. I just feel that if all you're worrying about is game plan and calling plays on one side of the ball or the other, you're going to lose the pulse of the team. You're not going to be able mm-hmm. to really walk the building and spend time with your players and get to know the trainers and equipment guys and find out what's really you know, moving through your building. And you have to have a beat on the players. You have to know what's pushing them. You have to mentally know what phase they're in so that you can push harder or pull off accordingly. Mm.
0: You know, you got to know the team. That is so, so true and so forgotten these days. Everybody's like, oh, you need an offensive coach. Oh, we need a defensive coach. And then a lot of these coaches, what do they do, they stick to their one side of the ball and don't coach the entire football team. We see with the Jesse where Adam Gaze they took the offense and gave Greg Williams a defense. We've seen in the past with Ben McAdoo who was more of an offensive guy. Pat Shermer was heavily involved in the offense calling his own plays. Too many of these coaches are too invested on one side of the ball. Joe Judge gets as a special teams guy that he's got to know everybody. Whether it's the quarterback, the long snapper, the gunner on special teams, the starting linebacker. He has to know everybody on the team, know what makes them click. That should make him a more successful coach, in theory. Another interesting thing, which I as a and, I love this. This is a idea that he talked about why he loved this giant organization. Let's hear from Judge about that.
1: The biggest thing I'll tell you what, out the gate is it's a football team. You know, there's an entertainment business side to it. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of teams in this league that gear themselves a lot more towards entertainment than Mm. football, and this definitely isn't that. This is a football team. It's a football town. You know, it's got tough, passionate fans, and that's what I believe the team should measure up to and reflect, that when you guys watch our games and you watch our team, you walk out of our stadium, you turn your TV off, you think, man, I'm going to put that Giants hat back on because I'm proud that they represent me.
0: That struck me right there is that this is a football team and there are teams in this league that view this more as an entertainment product than about winning football games. And that feels like my team to a T. The Jets for years have done this where they prioritize the splashes or the big names over football. Remember Tim Tebow? That was an entertainment move. Stuff like this, entertainment Joe Judge wants to win at football, and that is great. I mean, Joe Judge made such an incredible impression on the media. Probably the most popular press conference this town has had since Rex Ryan. And then he came in here saying he was not going to kiss Belichick's rings and all that, and Rex came out gangbusters. Rex started winning right away. Rex went to two consecutive ANC championship games the Jets have never done as a franchise, but he could not back it up. He couldn't finish the job. The Jets never made the playoffs again. He's fired four years later. The key with Joe Judge, as always, the words are great. The tone is great. And the problem is they need to win. None of this will matter. This press conference will be forgotten if the Giants are going 4-12 and 12 and 3-13 and 13 again. Joe Judge needs to win football games in this town. It's that simple. The words are nice, but talk is cheap. As a coach that I love used to say, you play to win the game. He has to win games. This is simple as that. I think he's got the right attitude to do it. He's got enough talent. He should be able to do it. Now we'll see next season if the winning starts. And that'll be fun to keep an eye on. But up next, we will talk to Matt Verderan about the NFL playoffs right after this call from the AFC playoffs, courtesy of CBS Sports' is Eagle and Dan Fouts. Direct snap. Henry. Jump pass. Oh, trickery. Touchdown, Tennessee! The
1: razzle-dazzle for the Titans. Look at that soft toss up over the top to Davis in the back of the end zone, beating Earl Thomas. Derek Henry just pulled a Tebow.
0: All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Talking NFL playoffs here with Matt Vertoram from Fanside, the host of the Stack in the Box podcast. Matt, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Glad to have you back. Before we dive into the playoffs, I want to pick your brand, a couple of the coaching hires that caught my interest. Obviously for the New York faithful here, the Giants hired Joe Judge to be their new head coach. What did you think of that choice?
2: I thought it was interesting. Uh, look, he's a young guy. He's 39 years old. Uh, obviously, you can tell from the press conference, he, he brings a no-nonsense approach. I think that Giants is everything you hear about him. Uh, for the Giants... I think this really depends on what kind of a staff does he bring in around him. He's obviously a first-time head coach. Uh, he's a guy who I think you know he would be well advised to bring in some experienced coordinators we can really lean on. I know he's kept a couple holdovers on, on the old staff to this staff, just fine. I don't think that's a bad idea. Gives the, the players some continuity, um, but I do think it's important for Judge to bring in some experience. If that's a really raw, green staff, I have concerns. My biggest concern with the hire, though, is you bring in Daniel Jones, sixth overall. Like, he's got to work. If he doesn't work, none of this works. Everybody's fired. So, I would have liked to have seen them go with an offensive coach. I think the enemy would have been a perfect fit for the Giants. But, they went with Joe Judge. I think it can work, but I do think there are some things that they're going to have to do along with Judge to make it work.
0: Yeah, I agree with you about Enemy being passed over for this job. The one that he probably dodged a bull here. I have no idea what the Browns are doing with Stefanski. The stuff that comes out of that job is concerning. Do you have any idea what's going on over in Cleveland?
2: Well, it's Cleveland. So, it's anybody's best guess. Look, I'm not going to kill them for hiring Stefanski because the one thing I don't think is fair. Like he had a horrible game against the Niners. The, the, the Vikings were just totally overwhelmed. The offensive line couldn't stand up to that front. But everybody's killing him because they hired him the next day. Well, if Sotansky was their guy two days before that game, they they shouldn't hire him because you had a bad game. It's one game. right? I think people have to realize it's literally one game. Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, Sean Pettit, bad games. So, that being said, of course, those guys have reputations. Sotansky, the only concern I have about the hire, well, two concerns. One is just it's the Browns. Are they going to give the guy time to get it right? Because he's not going to go in there and go 13 and three. It's not happening. Like they're talented, but they're not that talented. So that's my one concern about the organization. On the, on the coaching side of it, you know, Stefanski, I talked at length with Rick Spielman for a piece over at Fanside before the season started and talked with him for about 45 minutes. And we got into Stefanski a little bit. And, you know, this offseason, they brought in Rick Dennison and Gary Kubiak as assistant offensive coaches really to coordinate the run game and to help figure out, you know, their blocking schemes, both in run and, and, and pass protection. Um it doesn't seem Kubiak or is going with him to Cleveland. And so how much did did Kubiak and Dennison run the show there? And how much of that was Stefanski and those guys were just helping him. I'm not saying I know one way or the other, but I, I can tell you that the Vikings were really, really excited that Kubiak was there, feels he might stay, um you know, so Stefanski hopefully at least soaked up a lot of that knowledge. If he didn't, then then there are concerns to be had.
0: That's true. Let's go on to the playoff games. I don't want to spend 20 minutes talking about the Browns. So we'll go to that's right. That's right. Let's go to 49ers Vikings. Obviously, 49ers win this game. They run a lot. Jimmy Garoppolo does not to do much. What do you think of Jimmy G's playoff debut?
2: I thought he was okay. Um, and hey, they won, and he, like you said, he really didn't have to do anything. So if you're Jimmy, you're feeling pretty good about that. Uh, but he threw for like 137, 38 yards. He did have a really bad pick. that could have really cost him. That could have swung that game, but it didn't. Only ended up giving up a goal off of it, and they, they ran away from the Vikings afterward. But he was okay. Look, there's going to come a time in the playoffs for them, and I don't know whether it's this weekend or if they get to the Super Bowl. You would imagine at some point he's going to have to make some plays. And especially if they play Kansas City, like at some point, he's going to have to be out there moving the ball, and I think he can do it. I really do. I think Garoppolo has shown whether it's the Saints game, Packers game earlier in the year, uh, the Seattle game up up in Seattle, Week 10. Garoppolo has made some really nice plays. They got weapons all over the field, so I, I thought he was fine. You know, he he can't make the big mistake though, and I, he did do that against Minnesota, even though it didn't come back to totally bite him. So. As long as he can stay away from the turnovers, I, I think he'll be fine. Uh, but that is one thing with him to watch.
0: Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that as they go play Green Bay this week. We'll go to the Baltimore-Tennessee game. And obviously the shock of the weekend, the Titans win again. So they're on a magic card right bit, Tennessee. Can you think of a comparison for what kind of team this Titans run- team is on compared to like a team making a big run like this?
2: Yeah, there have been some teams in the past. Uh, you know, I, I, I think of the 96 Jacksonville Jaguars where – you know they came in as a five seed. They are also nine and seven. They had won five games in a row to make the playoffs. Um, and they needed a miracle in week seventeen. They got it. They got in. They went up to Buffalo. You know, Buffalo at the time was was a team that it you know was just coming off going to four straight Super Bowls. They won. Then they went to Denver, and uh, one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen in my lifetime. They went up there. They, they beat John Elway and company. And, and Denver was just a massive favorite to go to the Super Bowl that year. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and then they ended up losing the following weekend up in New England to Bill Parcells and company. But, uh, yeah, there there are other teams, you know, hell, Jacksonville a couple of years ago. And I know they weren't that low of a seed, but nobody thought they were going to the AFC title game. I mean, they went in, they handled Pittsburgh for like 45 points in the game. So it does happen. It does happen. I I think the main thing for Tennessee is they're winning the games right now because their defense has played pretty well. And Derrick Henry is just running all over everybody, I and mean, I don't think you can overstate how great he's been. So, uh, look, they've gotten the AFC title game, and they've got one more win to go to get to the Super
0: Bowl. They certainly are
2: capable of it, uh, but it it's of course going to be, you know, another tough test for them. They passed two, they've got one more to go before they get to Miami.
0: Before we get to that game, real quick, we'll go back to Baltimore for one second. Obviously, Lamar Jackson gonna be the MVP this year, had a huge season, but. Again, yep. an egg in the playoffs. Now, zero two in home games in the playoffs. So, at what point do you think we're gonna start hearing the Lamar Jackson can't win in the playoffs narrative?
2: Oh, I think you're gonna start hearing offseason. I don't think it's fair, but you're gonna start. You're gonna start hearing it right away. The think pieces are coming. Uh, you know, can they win like this? Is is he the kind of quarterback you can win with in, in a big spot in January? Look, I don't think that's fair, um, and I've been. Maybe a little more critical of Lamar Jackson than a lot of other people have. I think it's almost like in vogue just to never criticize some guys in the league because you know social media. It's it's almost like this wave of hey this guy's great, this guy's amazing. Look, Lamar Jackson is an incredible talent, and he's a very good player, and he certainly deserves to have the MVP. If I had a vote, and I don't, but if I did, he would be my MVP, no question about it. the The improvements he made from year one to year two are real. Uh, both obviously on the ground, but really for me in the passing game. The problem with them was always going to be if they got behind in a game by two scores, are they built to come back? And the answer is no, they're not built. They're they're built to play a specific way. And so when they got down in that game, they started to press a little bit. Jackson throws uh, that second pick of his. Bad pick, bad throw, fumbles on uh, a play where he double-clutched, he held on to it too long, lost control of the ball. But to me, that doesn't take away from the fact that like he had a great year. They can win in the playoffs with him. I mean, he, he is a very good player. I don't think there are too many players that the, that the Ravens would be like, yeah, you know, we'd we prefer to trade him for somebody else straight up. I mean, there's maybe one or two guys. So, yeah, I, I think you're going to see that kind of stuff come out. And I do think he needs to improve as a passer, and I think they need to improve the weapons around him. But I, I, I think it's totally unfair what's going to happen where people are going to pile on and say, see, he's a running quarterback. He can't win. That's that's nonsense.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens here in the future. Let's go to the other AFC game. And obviously, this story of this game is the fact the Texans jump out to the 24 nothing lead. They blow this game. Bill O'Brien was an awful coach game, especially that fake punt he runs it deep in his own end. Now, on a fourth down play, basically swings the whole game. What does this law say about Bill O'Brien as a coach?
2: Says he should be fired. He's not going to be, but he should be. I, and I don't normally say that. Like this is, that's an inexcusable disaster. I, I, I don't. You know, had they lost the game, like twenty seven twenty, and it's just, you know, okay, you got know, be by a better team in their building off a of bye. you can understand that. I don't think anybody would have criticized Bill O'Brien, or at least nobody rational, had they just gone in and lost to the Chiefs. The Chiefs spotted them 24 points. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're playing, who you're playing. If you're 24 points in an NFL game, you better win that game, especially when you've got a really good quarterback, a couple of really nice receivers. I mean, that, there's just no excuse. They scored seven points the rest of the game. Kansas City scored 51. They had seven straight possessions where they ended in a touchdown. That's an NFL record. But you said it earlier. Everybody's killing them over the fourth and one at the 13 where they kicked the field goal. That's fine. I would have liked to have seen them been aggressive there too. Um, But to me, you'll look at that fake punt from their own 31. They're up 24-7. They're still in total control of the game. They run that fake. Dan Sorensen, discredit for the Chiefs, made a great play. He's the only guy who could have gotten Justin Reed. He tackled him by his, by his ankles um, and, and gave the Chiefs the ball back. But once that play happened, that game was completely out of Houston's control. The Chiefs went right down the field. They took three plays. He jammed in the end zone. And O'Brien, it, it, there were no adjustments. Nothing changed. They went into halftime. They were down four. They came out. They got blown out again. It's just, I don't know how you could be a player or a fan involved with the Texans and feel like with Bill O'Brien – Things are going to end well for you in January. I'll get you there. He's proven that, but I don't think he's going any further than that when he plays against the big boys.
0: Yes, this is true. He's probably going to survive this, but I feel like all the hits on him is taking away from how great Patrick Mahomes was in this game. Talk a little bit about how incredible Mahomes was, and he reminded everybody how brilliant he is at quarterback.
2: Uh, I, I don't think it was accidental how emotional he was going into the game. As that game wore on, now part of that is just the way the game played out. They're not 24-0 nothing offering this unbelievable historic comeback. So, you know, part of the emotion as the game wore on was just, I think what everybody was feeling in that building, who was rooting for the Chiefs, was like, can you believe this is happening? Um, but, look, I've said this all year, for in this all year for a fan side, he, he is the best quarterback in football. And that's not a knock on Lamar, it's not a knock on Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or anybody else. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league. I mean, they were down 24 nothing, and I think most people felt like yeah, they could still win this game. I don't know how many other quarterbacks you feel that way. Maybe a few, but he goes out, throws for over 300 yards, five touchdowns, no picks, ran for over 50 yards. Uh, ankle finally looks healthy after dealing with that and, and, and other injuries with the knee all year long. He's the best player in football right now. He's not going to win the MVP, nor should he this year, but he is uh, the preeminent player in the league and he showed why. You know, they have a lot of weapons. but He knows how to, how to find them at the right moments, at the right times. He's great at manipulating guys to the line of scrimmage. Saw a few times that game. Hard-counted detections. Got him to jump. They get a free play. I think on both of the free plays, he threw the ball over 30 yards, completed his throws. Uh, look, When they play offense like that, and he's playing the way he can play, they're they're rough. They're, they are. I mean, after the game, Bill O'Brien said they went into the game feeling they need to score 50 points to win.
0: It's not too often
2: you have an NFL team saying you feel like they need to hang half a hundred. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see Mahomes on Sunday against Tennessee.
0: Yeah, I think Mahomes also did the league a favor too. I don't think the NFL is looking forward to having a Houston-Tennessee AFC Championship game. No, that would have been a nightmare
2: for CBS. I mean, I I know you know. Hey, whoever gets there gets there. CBS executives at 24-0 nothing, has to be thinking, oh, my God, we're going to have to ho- put this game on in Houston. It's nothing against Houston, but it, there's no atmosphere. It's a dome stadium. It's two teams that don't exactly have a lot of a, you know, sex appeal, so to speak. Um, and now, instead, you're getting a game back at Arrowhead with all these storylines of, hey, they haven't been this football in 50 years. They had the, the, the horrible, brutal overtime loss last year in the AFC title game. And now you've got Mahomes. And, and this incredible offense against this upstar Titans team. And so there's there's a lot to look forward to. But, yeah, had that have been Houston, Tennessee, hey, that would have been one of the lower-rated AFC games in, in some time for CBS.
0: Absolutely. Before we get to the title games, let's go wrap up the weekend here. Talk about the Seahawks-Packers. Your big takeaway out of this game.
2: You know, I think it, it was a game – it's kind of how I expected it to go. I waffled all week long. I think I was asked by 15 different people for my prediction, and I probably gave 15 different predictions. So it was not a great job I made. But I couldn't figure out who I thought was going to win. Finally settled on the Packers. He did win. Um, you know, Wilson's a special player for Seattle. And I talked about him a little bit earlier as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And he is. He's great. I think he's the most underrated player in football. I think if Seattle had any sense, they would just let him go and, and be himself at the beginning of these games and not run the ball with, with you know, Homer and Marshawn Lynch for two and a half quarters. And They do it all the time. They fall behind these games. And it's then it's like, well, all right, let's let, let's see if, what Russell Wilson can do. I thought that was the case again on Sunday, um, and they just fell a little bit too far behind. They also had a brutal drop in fourth quarter. Malik Turner catches that ball on that on that last drive for Seattle. They're moving. They're over midfield. They got a first down. All of a sudden, he drops it, and then it's, you know they, they have to punt. They never get the ball back. Uh, but I thought the better team won. But The Packers are better. They're, they're not great. They're weird. I know it's all weird. You know, it's weird to say a team that's fourteen and three isn't a great team, but they don't really leave you impressed. Like overall, like they're like they're good, but you don't feel like they're dominant ever. But they won the game. Rogers made some really nice throws on third down. Adams had a huge game. The Smith brothers on defense—they do wreak a lot of havoc. They are good up front. But I think the better team did win, and now they go to San Francisco. Uh, where you know they're trying to erase memories of what was a brutal beating back in November. We'll see if they can do it.
0: All right, let's get to those games. Let's start with that game you just brought up, the 49er-Packer game. What would you think would be the key to this game for both teams?
2: The, the Packers have got to stop San Francisco from running the ball. They've got to turn this into a game where you, you, you force Garoppolo to beat you. Now, he might. He might do it. They have Steve Evo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, George Kittle. They could certainly do it, but you have to force them to where they're not just getting you in second and four and second and three all the time, because that's what Kyle Shanahan dials it up and kills you. I think the Packers offensively, there's no way around it. Rodgers is going to have to have a vintage game, and he's capable of it, but he's going to have to have it. They're they're going to do everything imaginable. They're going to put Sherman on Adams. They're going to try to take him out of the game. He is going to have to be able – to throw guys open, make the big play, even use his legs at times. Aaron Jones, he's going to have to have a good game. Dalvin Cook didn't even get the 20-yard rushing. You know, I'm not saying Jones has to have 100 yards, but he can have 80. Um, like the Niners are the better team. They're at home. They should win. But do the, the Packers have a chance? Yes, because they are talented, and they've got Aaron Rodgers. So they're, going to, they're going to have a shot in this game.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Let's go to the other game, Chiefs-Titans. What are the, the keys think for each team in that game?
2: I, you know, look, everybody's going to talk about Henry, and Henry's going to run for some yards against Kansas City. But to me, the big thing is they are going to have to get big plays out of Tannehill in this game. They're not winning this game if Tannehill throws for 85 yards. Okay? He has not thrown over 90 yards in either one of these two playoff games. And they've won largely because New England can't score a point. Uh, and, and the Ravens have a very good offense, but they do not have a very good offense when they get behind. And they got behind, and so they had to completely come out of the way they normally play and you know, give Tennessee credit for that. Tennessee got off to a nice lead. But you know, Baltimore moved the ball the entire game. Baltimore over five hundred yards of offense. He just they simply bogged down, they turned the ball over. If Tennessee's gonna win, they're gonna have to score points. This, this is not gonna be a game where they're gonna win this thing twenty to seventeen. I don't care how well they possess the ball. I mean, Kansas City, you got a good look at it on Sunday. Kansas City scored twenty eight points in a quarter. So if 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 Tennessee's gonna win, Tannehill's gonna have to play a really good game. I I don't think there's any way around it. And for the Chiefs, look, you know, you hope if you're a Chiefs fan that Chris Jones is back. I would imagine he would be. I I don't know that for sure, but he he almost played on Sundays. You think another week it probably goes well for him. Uh, Look, if you're Kansas City, you just got to do what you do offensively. I think if they do that, they're going to win. Look, they they played each other earlier in the year. The Chiefs lost 35-32. The Chiefs, go back and look at that game. Chiefs took a million penalties, including one that took a touchdown off the board. They fumbled the ball away, and Tennessee ran it back for a touchdown. Uh, they had two field goals. That, one, they, they mishandled the snap and had to, had to run for it. Uh, and then another one that they missed an assignment, got kind of a block. I, I just don't think those things are going to happen again, especially after what just happened at the Chiefs. My God, if they're ever going to be on alert in this, in this game to not start out horribly it's after this past week. So I think if you're the Chiefs, it's just that don't turn it over. Don't take a ton of penalties. And just play your game offensively. I think if they do that, regardless of what Derrick Henry does, I think Kansas City probably gets back to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years.
0: All right. There you have it. Matt Verderan from Fanside talking NFL playoffs. Matt, before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how to follow on social media, some of the stuff you're up to with Fanside and the Stack in the Box podcast?
2: Sure. So uh, you know, anybody who's looking for any kind of sports content or entertainment content, for that matter, uh, check out Fansite.com. We have everything covered for all different sports. Uh, And like I said, anything from music to movies and so on and television so on and so forth, gaming. Um, As far as I'm concerned, look, we're going to have the NFL covered wall-to-wall right up to the Super Bowl and then past the Super Bowl. I will be at the Super Bowl. I'll be at the Combine. I'll be at the Senior Bowl. We'll have a bunch of uh, on-the-ground reporting there. Uh, And then from our great writers, uh, including yourself, we will have uh, stuff covering the draft. We will have stuff covering free agency And, of course, the Super Bowl will fall off there. So. Uh, There's a lot to look forward to. Please subscribe to uh, the Stack in the Box podcast that I do every week with former NFL offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz and also have the Stack in the Box column that goes up every Monday morning
0: at 6 a.m. Eastern. So
2: check it out. It would really be appreciated.
0: I do appreciate the plug there, Matt. Thanks again for giving me all this time today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right, and there you have it. That was Matt Vertoran from FanSide on the Stack in the Box podcast recapping Divisional Weekend, previewing the conference championships up next, NFL picks for the conference championship round with Ian Sachs right after this.
1: Show me the money.
3: Let's look
0: at oh. it that make me feel good just the all right, we are back showing the money. NFL picks for the conference championship round are here. It's finally time to find out who's going to Super Bowl 54. Joining me today, somebody whose team is usually in this round, but they are not this year, Ian Sachs. Ian, welcome back. How are you?
3: Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. It's with a heavy heart that I'm here today. Yeah, when, um,
0: when Ian was here back in week eight, we were still talking about the fact that Patriots have been to about eight or nine straight AFC Championship games. The run has ended.
3: It has, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I ha- the way that this team played down the stretch, started the season 8-0, finished 12-4, and so went 4-4 and in the back half. And you just could tell that there was something missing with, with this team, especially now you look back the last two seasons they lost to Miami in December, both years, but just the way that it happened last year was on a fluke Uh, Miracle Miracle play And then this year It was a regular touchdown play With 24 seconds And it was like Oh They they legitimately beat the Patriots this year Not like some crazy play Where the Patriots take Rob Gronkowski In a corner For a Hail Mary try So It it Just The way that the whole second half of the season unfolded You could tell that this team Was not built But The Patriots always find a way
0: yeah. So now the question, obviously, is this: They went out the first round. The the vultures are started circling. Two two full question: Is Tom Brady back? Is the dynasty over? What's your opinion?
3: Yes, Tom Brady comes back, and no, the dynasty is not over. Yeah. Uh, I I know that my view is a little slanted. Is it one a little slanted and two, uh, not the popular one and not the the most common one. I I know that. A lot of my friends have said to me, you know it's over. You know this is the end. You know Brady's done. And I said, no. Brady and Kraft have such a strong relationship when you look at it. They got rid of Jimmy Garoppolo in order to keep Tom Brady happy. Not yeah. not to keep Tom Brady, just to keep him happy. Yeah. Bill Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo. He saw that Gar- that Brady to Garoppolo could be a uh, Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers yeah. type of deal. You look at what... Garoppolo is doing now the one seed in the NFC which I know we'll get to our picks a little bit later but the one seed in the NFC a very good chance of getting to the Super Bowl and where are the Patriots sitting at home after a wild card weekend loss to a Tennessee team that came into Foxborough and completely out Belichicked the Belichick Patriots
0: yeah it makes some sense I mean we again we said this before a couple of times we thought it back in 2014 when they got blown out in Kansas City in Week 4. We thought a couple times in 2016. I mean, we've had this debate before. I know the Patriot haters don't want to say this, but like, until they're dead, they're not dead.
3: Well, one of my best friends, I still remember this vividly, during that Monday night game against Kansas City, was texting, we were texting during the game, and he said, the Patriots aren't looking good. This is bad. I said, okay. You know, you're right. They're not looking good. But you don't reserve judge i i try to reserve judgment until it is definitively done, and okay, so the dynasty's over they went twelve and four this year yeah they won the they won the division for the umpteenth time in a row yes the the bills are looking better and the strongest competition that the Patriots have had since the Jets about ten years ago, but look at what happened when they played week 16 with the division on the line that game was never in doubt yes it was a close score in the game but there was never a doubt in my mind during the whole 60 minutes that the Patriots were not going to win that game they had a chance to win uh, to get a bye and get into the into the divisional round all they had to do was beat Miami which okay they don't do but we're sitting here very differently if they're if the Patriots are the two seed Kansas City comes into New England and they win it's a completely different story. It's okay. The Patriots aren't in the conference championship game. That streak comes to an end. But they were one win away from that and playing a great Kansas City team who is looking for revenge. So the one game, just the one loss to Miami, changed the entire dynamic that we're talking about in this January.
0: Yes, it has. And before we get to the picks, so like we you mentioned some stuff. You think they have to do to get through? and stay on top of the division this year what do you think about these playoffs as a whole what was your big takeaway from last weekend
3: biggest takeaways from last weekend I think the resolve of the Packers Mike we were talking about it off air that last week you had Joe Dion and that was the one game that you two differed on and I had to feel pretty good as you did about the Seahawks in that you look at them okay they lose the division on a crazy by inches fourth quarter by inches so they lose a uh the division they lose the the number 3 seed in the home game in the first round they go cross country they beat Philadelphia who's always a tough out in the playoffs and then they go to Green Bay and take the Packers down to the wire you have to like what you're seeing from the Packers the resolve to to win that game coming down to the wire and then in the AFC the most impressive team by far has been Tennessee you take out New England in New England you take out Baltimore in Baltimore they have impressed very well but I think that this train is pulling into the station and that that streak might not go anymore because Kansas City was a buzzsaw in that second in that last three quarters against Houston and I think that they're playing their best football right now I think Kansas City is the best team in the NFL right
0: now I think the Chiefs preseason to go to the Super Bowl. I had some doubts in the middle of the year, but I feel good about that now.
3: Uh, it's, It's looking very, 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 very good. I thought they were poised to go to the Super Bowl last year, and I think that that loss in the AFC Championship game from a year ago is going to fuel them even more. They're hosting the AFC Championship game another time. The AFC Championship game trophy is the Lamar Hunt Trophy, the former owner of the Chiefs. They saw it get taken away from them a year ago. They're not going to let that happen a second time.
0: All right. Now we spoiled a little bit. Let's get to the picks, the reason why you're here. You mentioned Joe Dalvisio was here last week. He went a perfect 4-0 and on the week. got the full 10 points in the playoff challenge. 49ers laying 6.5. Titans plus 9.5. Chiefs minus 9.5, which looked pretty dire until Bill O'Brien decided to fake the punt and turn the entire game around. And the Packers laying the 4. They win by 5, so... A perfect ten points for Joe.
3: Squeaking that one
0: out, He's Squeaking right that one out. I hope you. I hope you guys put some shekels on Joe's picks last week. He could have made some serious uh, moolah on the betting lines.
3: <laughs> that that's exactly why you need to listen to this yeah. podcast yeah. right here. Good yeah. stuff. Good information. Good ins-
0: good picks. Yeah, yeah. I went three and well one the week. I said like, I could have made you some money, not as much as Joe, but we agree on the first three games: Forty Nine ers, Titans, and Chiefs. I had the Seahawks plus four. That one was close. It could have gone either way, but Joe got the point. I got nine points, so in the playoff round, the challengers have 11 points. I have 15, so it's still a neck-and-neck race as we head down the stretch here. Uh Uh-oh, pressure's on for me now. Yeah, so since there's only two games a week, we're going to to add the over-under numbers in here to create more point opportunities for the challengers to get back in I like it. I like it a lot. All right, so without any further ado, let us get to the picks, and we will start with titans chiefs asc championship game sunday at three o'clock on cbs the chiefs seven and a half point favorites ian where are you going
3: taking the chiefs laying the seven and a half i think that kansas city is rolling right now i think they are the best team in the nfl and i could see this game not being close the kansas the tennessee luck is finally going to run out this is a nine and seven team from the regular season that means they're just an average team they got hot for two weeks in the playoffs Kansas City has been hot for the entire second half of the season and rolling even more into the playoffs Kansas City is not going to let the Lamar Hunt trophy be taken away from them yet again think about they had it last year if it wasn't for D Ford's offsides call the Chiefs would have gone to the Super Bowl who knows what would have happened against the Rams there, and we could be looking at Kansas City trying to go back-to-back. Chiefs absolutely win this game.
0: On a confidence level, 1-4, where are you going? Four. Full four. Full four. All right. I'm right there with you. I'm taking the Chiefs with the full four points. I mean, this is a Tennessee team. Yes, they won both games in very impressive fashion, but... Ryan Daniel did not throw for 100 yards in either game. He didn't throw for more than 85. He threw for 72 in New England, 85 against the Ravens. That will not cut it against the Chiefs, as we saw as Matt Bergeran said earlier in this podcast. They scored 28 points in a quarter against a pretty good Houston Texans defense, and that was with the Texans spotting them, spotting them a 24-0 lead. I love the Chiefs here. I've loved them all year. I'm riding the band again. they won six in a row regular season, two in the playoffs. It's going to be nine in a row. Chiefs winning a laugher. Chiefs to the Super Bowl, full four-point confidence.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's your your Super Bowl pick. And, well, lock, it, lock of the week. Lock it in. Oh, yeah. Put them in the Super
0: Bowl. All right. Let's next go to the over-under 12. I think it's interesting. It's 49 points. Ian, do you like the over or the under? Absolutely hammer the over. This is
3: a Kansas City team that had 51 points last week. That's more just them alone. That's more than this over-under Hammer the over. I look for the Chiefs to f- score 49 themselves.
0: All right, and your confidence points, you have a 3, a 2, and a 1 left. Where are you going?
3: In between the 2 and the 3, uh, I would say 2.5 if it was an option, but give me the 3.
0: I'll take the 2 on the over as well, because I feel like Tennessee will try to c- control the, tap the clock and run with Derrick Henry. That's the only reason why I'll hover on the 2, but over two for me there so I'll we'll go that's my thought there next up we'll go to the Packers 49ers NFC Championship game Sunday 630 on Fox these two teams met back in week 12 was a 49er blowout 38 to 7 the Packers are seven point underdogs here Ian where are you going with this pick
3: taking the Packers getting the points I say the 49ers win a close one but it's less than seven so give me the Packers getting the points
0: two or one that's it you got left uh, one. Yeah. Gotta go one. Yeah it's, inter- yeah, it's interesting here. For the sake of difference here, I can see your argument. I'm going to go with the 49ers because I had a chance to rewatch that game recently. And I was doing an r fantasy fan side. We look at what the Packers have to do to improve this game. And there's some things that like I don't think they can fix. They don't have another receiver besides Devontae Adams who can make plays in this game. Their offensive line had major issues in that first game. I know Brian Bulaga was hurt. But I just feel like, you know what, this might be Jimmy G's year... I like the 49ers' weapons. I don't think they have a good matchup with George as The t- Packers Controls are carrying tight ends all year. I'll weigh the points. I'll give I'll give my two with the 49ers.
3: I, I think the 49ers are a, a much more complete team than Green Bay is. But I see a lot of similarities with this Green Bay team than the one that lost that AFC Championship game to Seattle a couple years ago that it looks like I think they might get out early. But I think that the 49ers will come back, win the game, but by less than seven.
0: That's fair. So that's, that's your argument And this is, I think, the trickiest number on the board here. It's the over-under is 45 in this game, which I think feels right on the nose. So where are you going?
3: Uh, I could see this being right at 45, 20, yeah. <laughs> 24 to 21. Yeah. Uh, give me the under. Yeah. I'm taking the under on this one. I'm thinking it's going to be right in the low 20s is going to be the where this game is going to be played. I could see a 21-17 game. Give me the under.
0: Okay, so that's your one. That's your two point pick. That's all you got left. So
3: that's that's my two point pick.
0: Mine's a one point pick. It's just so on the fence. I'm going to go with the over just because. I mean, this playoffs is tend to be a little higher scoring than we've used to. So why not continue the trend here? I said, if my one for a reason, I'm the least confident in it. But I just think, again, that number is, if you have to play, I would pity you because this is such a spot-on over-under number.
3: I, I, If you asked me for a score for this game before I saw the over-under, I would say 24-21, which comes out right to 45. This number is right on the ball. And it's so funny, Mike, you mentioned it right there, that the... Playoffs are usually a lot more low scoring. Defense usually wins in the playoffs. But this has been a high-flying playoff so far. So, I could see that going
0: over. Yes. So, again, the oddsmakers know what they're doing out there with these numbers. They they certainly do. They're in the business for a reason. They are in the business for a reason. To reset the picks here, we'll go with the Chiefs, Texans. Ian and I both love the Chiefs laying those 7.5 points. Full 4-point confidence. Each, the over-under numbers. We both like the over I am at a three. I'm at a two. Ian's at a three. Packers, Niners. Ian has gone with the Packers getting the points, lane one. I put the Four ers laying those points, three-point confidence. Last but not least, the over-under. We both are not thrilled with our picks here, but I'm going with the over at one-point confidence. ian going with the under for two points, and that will do it for your picks for Conference Championship Week. Hardly, with only two full weeks of actual football left.
3: So hard to believe it. It feels like we were just sitting here week one, week two, and talking about Lamar Jackson putting up 59 points in week one and the Antonio Brown saga of where is he going to go, what's he going to do. He goes to the Patriots for a week, then they get rid of him, then he's in and out of the NFL, trying out for different teams after that. uh and, you know, are the Jets going to win a game? Are the Dolphins going to win a game? Are the Bengals going to win a game? And yet now, here we are and knocking on the doorstep of finding out who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl down in South Florida. It is just mind-boggling where this entire season has gone. And, well, you know what, my guy, It's going to feel just as quick. And we'll be sitting right back here week one looking at trying to make picks for week- Super Bowl
0: 55. Yeah, exactly. And... It's just I'm, no, there's no football next week real the pro bowl does not count in my opinion that's not football that's a glorified scrimmage
3: I I completely agree with you the the NFL needs to figure out a way don't ask me I don't know how but needs to figure out a way to entice it for me the baseball all-star game is by far the best of the the, the actual game itself yes but they're not going to play it mid-season nobody's going to play in it then no. because injuries football is such a, an injury prone sport but you can't do it right on the eve of the playoffs because then all the teams in the playoffs aren't going to participate. And after the Super Bowl, it, it, it's an afterthought. Maybe if they, if they tried to do it the way that they do the NFL honors show yep. the night before the Super Bowl in the same city, everyone's there, and it's just an entire celebration of the, the 30 teams' best players who are not playing in the Super Bowl – and then the next night you see the two best teams in the league. That might be a solution to try to get more more fanfare and, and more respect for the Pro Bowl.
0: Yeah, for sure. And not leaving you guys out a segment next week because there's no game. I'm actually going to be joined by a good friend of yours, Kevin Walsh Jr. He'll be on the podcast this week. We're going to talk about all the different ways you can bet on the Super Bowl.
3: Kevin Walsh making his return here to the airwaves of Iona College. I love it.
0: Yeah, he's been on this podcast once before. He did the picks back in week 15. I think he went – I want to say two, he was 2-1 and one on the week. But we were talking about the – next we Talk about the early thoughts on the spread, the over-under, the money line, the box pools, the props, all uh, that good stuff. The prop bets are my favorite part of the yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, so – and Ke- that is right in kevin's wheelhouse so we- we're gonna have some fun next week with this what are you going heads or tails <laughs> tails never fails
3: <laughs> I'm-, I'm going heads it, it yeah. seems like it's been heads more more often than not recently
0: would you like to put that bet on the air here will- i will venue owe you a dollar if the <laughs> if the coin toss comes up heads sounds good <laughs> all right so ian thanks for all the time today before i let you go do you want to let people know how to find on social media
3: yeah, it is uh, Twitter and Instagram are both at R. Sacks, I-A-N-R-S-A-C-K-S. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind a couple of, of Patriots posts now, now and again, then
0: uh, follow. Well, Patriot fans are people, too. Don't forget that, guys. <laughs> and one more thing. Are you a tennis guy by chance? I am. Are you excited about the Australian Open coming up?
3: It, it's so funny. I, I love the... I'm not a a diehard tennis fan following At, it, like week to week. Following week to week, I I def, I tune in for the majors. Yeah, absolutely, and then you know ch- check in periodically in between the majors. But with it being with January being college bowl conference season, middle of the NBA season, middle of the NHL season, NFL playoffs, baseball off-season moves oh, oh. and acquisitions.
0: We, we talk about the baseball. Let's not get in there again. That's a whole mess.
3: Just just mentioning that, yeah. that that's something that, that's going on. Uh, college football playoff just and, wrapped. and championships going on. I always completely forget about the Australian Open. It happens every single year. And then like I'll see notifications on my phone, that, like the first and second round. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. happening right now.
0: Yeah, well, stay, stick around if you want to hear some tennis talk. I talked to Veronica from from Side about the Australian Open. That's coming up right after this. journey. <laughs> With a substantial victory over one of his great rivals, and he enters the record books with a historic seventh Australian Open title. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. We're not doing a two minute drill this week, instead, we are going to preview the Australian Open and I'm happy to bring back the woman who's been on this podcast a couple times, reviewed the last three majors, uh, Veronica Brewer from Fanside. Welcome back. How are you?
4: I'm great. Thank you for having me again.
0: It's always fun talking tennis with you, so I want to start right there. We'll go to the men's side first because before we get into the Australian Open, there is this new event that happens, the ATP Cup. Can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on this thing?
4: Well, the ATP Cup was very exciting. Um, you know, it comes on the heels of the Davis Cup. So again, you know, where, you know, where do we end up again? It came down to Nadal versus Djokovic. And it was, um, the pivotal moment, you know, which Djokovic won. But I have to say, as exciting as the ATP Cup was, you know, it's a, it's a pretty busy calendar. You know, you've got three cups now going on in one calendar year. Plus, you've got the Olympics that are coming up this year as well, so it's really getting very, very busy for all the top players, and it's starting to look very top-heavy with these cups. Um, I think it was, a, you know, it was it was a terrific, thriving atmosphere, and it was exciting, but it wasn't really the greatest showcase, in my opinion, of some of the younger players. You know, you had Sasha Zverev and, and Stefano Stefanos who pretty, who lost their tempers at the event. And, you know, with his win, it's a strong case for Djokovic heading into the Australian open slam in his best shape. So he came out as the biggest winner, but um, you're seeing this movement towards more team country tennis, which is a very exciting movement. And I honestly think that they have a lot to thank for um, the, the labor cup, which really made this quite popular again, you know, with the Davis cup, there's a lot of strong support for it and very passionate support, but it was kind of a waning event. But now you've got this surging uh, atmosphere for these group and team and country events again, and it's extremely exciting. So I'm just interested to see where it's all going to play out, because right now it's, it's great for tennis, but it's also a really heavy... Uh, schedule so i don't know if this can be maintained at this level with three different cups going on in the same calendar year with a with an Olympics. but are we going to be dealing with big burnout by the time we get to the atp finals at the end of the year um you know with the i i have to also say i kind of missed the, the hoffman cup at this year this time of the year as well because that was one of the few mixed doubles events where you had you had Roger Federer and Belinda Bencic for Switzerland who won together, but it also gave you the opportunity to see Federer face across the net with Serena Williams. So the two goats facing each other. And that was exciting stuff. And that was gone this year because it made way for the ATP cup. So it's, it's a little bittersweet, you know, for women's tennis, it's not so great that these big events are just focusing on the men, frankly, and, with the Hoffman Cup, I'm hoping that it's going to come back again next year, which they do say they're working on a new venue, but uh, I don't. it doesn't make me 100% comfortable that they set aside a mixed doubles event that featured women playing along their countrymen for another men's cup. But overall, I thought the ACP Cup was a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it was certainly interesting for sure. Let's get to the Australian Open. The one calendar slam, it's in January, so... Stick with the men for a minute here. So what do you think of the outlook is for the big three contenders who basically have dominated the slams the last decade in Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal?
4: Well, a decade ago, we had Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic in the top three. It's 10 years later, and we're back in the same boat. So <laughs> there's, things change, and then they don't. I don't think that uh, we're seeing this, any definitive signs that the top players are going away. We know they will, but they still look the strongest and the hungriest when it comes to the slam. But there are some subtle signs of emerging talent and and young talents who are making inroads, like Sitsipas winning the ATP Finals. So he's definitely a contender against those big three, and he's he's beaten them before. Um, but really, the big three have the best chances. You know, Novak won it last year, Roger the year before, and the year before that. Nadal's only won it once, but it's his and it's his least successful slam, but he's uh, you know he he looks excellent. He won the Davis Cup for his team. He made the finals for the ATP Cup. He's as healthy as ever, and uh, he has a very good chance of of winning it this year. Novak has won it a record seven times. He owns the record for the Australian Open on the men's side, and Federer's won it six times. Between the two, I'd say Novak's got the slider slighter edge, but really any of those top three guys can can still win it again. I mean, Federer is the only one of the three he did not win a slam last year, but at Wimbledon he was two points away from winning, and he also beat Nadal in the semis the match before. So, Fed's a sure bet as well. We'll we'll have to see. I mean, the the big three are your top three players, and they're the the biggest contenders for the title. And they're the ones that thrive in the best-of-five format. So you can't really – you can't say neither one of them is going to win. Uh, in my opinion, those three guys are your your top contenders. But as Federer said, you know, no 38-year-old should be uh, a top contender at this stage. But that's where we are.
0: Yeah, that is where we are. Now, i going to make this a little interesting here. Let's talk about some of the other players in this drawing. Which one of them I'll go to is Nick Kyrgios, who is Australian – well, Walsh put on a good show here, known for his big temper, but he has had some flashes of brilliance in the past. What do you think of Nick Chir- Kyrgios' chances are here?
4: Well, it's it. wouldn't it be fun to watch Nick Kyrgios win on home turf? But, you know, he's a loose cannon. At uh, Wimbledon last year, when he had to face Nadal, he was at the pub the night before having a pint. So, you know, he's got that unpredictability about him. It makes him... Fun to watch it it makes them unpredictable but it doesn't translate to a, a sure win the next day and you just don't know what you're going to get with him he did win the city open and mexico open last year both hard court tournaments so he he's you know he's had some good wins recently but um you know he's also been dealing with injuries slight injuries since last fall and he's he's up and down but uh we all know he's capable and does he have the will i mean he made uh the he he made great inroads at the atp cup he got to the semis there and uh the best i can predict about him is of course there's a chance but he is unpredictable but i'm sure especially with the bushfire situation going on in australia it would be a, a sweet moment for him to win on home turf, and it, it would mean quite a bit. And I'm, I would guarantee that he would donate some of the his prize money as well if he does win.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he would. Let's go to one other player who I think would be interesting on the men's side. That's Daniil Medvedev, who had the big breakthrough at the end of last year. Got to, I think he got to the final in the U.S. Open before he lost to Rafael Nadal. So, what do you think Medvedev can do after the emergence at the end of last year?
4: Well, I'd say if you were to look at last last year and ignore the big three, you would have said that it was Medvedev's year. He won the most titles, and he came within such a short distance from winning that U.S. Open against Nadal. Um, He, you know, I would have predicted that he would have won the ATP Finals last year, but I was surprised that he didn't. However, he won so many titles and. He certainly shows the drive, and I would say he's one of the hungriest of those young players. Like your Zverevs, your your Sitsipasas. you know, he's the one that's that's got the greatest hunger to break through to a slam win. But you know, he's not a beloved sports figure, so he would usher in a new era, I think, in men's tennis. We're really used to these icons of sportsmanship such as Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. And, uh, and Medvedev also is a bit of a loose cannon. You know, more than one player has complained about his attitude and to his face at the net. And there's no, But there's no question about Medvedev's drive. Of all the young players, I would predict that he follows up as the first one to break through to a slam win. But will he be liked for it? That's another
0: question. Yeah, there's another question. I have one another one more question about the men before we move on here. So we might talk about men's Dev a little bit. Do you have any other sleepers on the men's side that could make things interesting down down under?
4: Well, I definitely think Stefano Tsitsipas is gonna be uh, I'd put him in the top five contenders to uh break through at Australia for sure. I mean he won the ATP finals last year. He had a great year last year as well. He's, you know, a bit uneven, um, but he he definitely is one of the contenders for the title, and he's also been working on his fitness, so he looks even fitter than he he did before. So he's he's got a great shot at it. I would have said if you asked me last year about Alexander Zverev at the if this was in the first half of last year that he he would not be a contender, but at uh, some point last summer, Zverev seemed to turn his whole. Process around. He had some issues, per, a lot of personal issues going on. You know, with his father being sick and his changing management and being, and he's still involved with a case with his former management. So he had a lot of distractions, and he was handling a lot of his affairs on his own. But uh, he he seemed to to turn himself around last fall, and he started making major inroads into the tournaments. And he did quite well at the ATP Finals. And he is – I mean, he's still so young, and we forget that. We, we keep expecting so much of him because he broke through so young at a time when the, the breakthrough wins have been reserved for the older players on the tour. But he's got – he's coming into the Australian Open stronger than he was last year, for sure. And then I would say also Denis Shapovalov did fantastic at the end of last year. He's definitely a sleeper. Dominic Team he looks great. He is going to be a factor at Australia. And then of course, you know, you've got Medvedev who has probably the greatest chance out of all of them. But I have to say personally, I really like Matteo Berrettini. He's, he rose up very quickly into the top 10 last year out of nowhere. And he's been a surprise all, all season long. So he, he's one of those guys that you, he floats under the radar, but, He's definitely somebody I've been keeping my eye on for quite a while now.
0: Yeah, some interesting names there for sure. Let's go to the women's side for a little bit as well. Start with Serena Williams. And starting off the year of well, she won a tune up event down in Auckland last week. Do you think that will set her up well to tie the Grand Slam record? Because she's been so close so many times since she came back for the maternity leave. And you think, you got to think she's closing in on it.
4: Sure, I, I would say Serena actually looks excellent this time. She her win in Auckland was not only her first in two years, but the first one since she gave birth. So, I think she's relaxing and taking things in stride better. You know, and and it, it is a factor when your baby is growing up. You know, it does make a difference in how you go back to work and you get used to things and, you know, she's 38, but 38 is nothing for the big icons in the sport. They can persevere where others can't, you know, it's all about the hunger, the drive, and it's still ever present with uh, Serena Williams. So she looks, she looks so good now. I uh, really, she does. And the Australian open is where she won last and it's been very good to her. She made the final at her last tournament, the U S open but you know, going into Australia, she's healthy, she's fit, she's injury-free. I think she will tie Margaret at some point this year, and she may possibly even surpass her.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting to see for sure. And Margaret, she did not win this last year, Naomi Osaka did. That was the last Slam she's won. What do you think her chances are defending this title?
4: Well, she seems to be, Naomi Osaka seems to be ironing out the kinks in her preparation and game. Uh, She had some issues going into uh, following up the Australian Open last year, and she changed coaches, and she went through kind of a a bumpy period. But she's had a much more successful back half of 2019 than first half, even after the Australian Open win. So she, she won a title last year. She made finals. She progressed Deeply into several tournaments last summer and fall. She looks strong again. I would say uh, with this new coach, uh, Fissette, she's she's one of the front runners for sure. She's also moved back up into the top three. So she looks great. Yes,
0: yeah, she does look great. I feel like the player under the most pressure down here might well be Ashley Barty. Because again, like Curios, native Australian, wants has a slam under her belt though, unlike him. I pressure if you would think to win on her home service.
4: Well, again, you know, any Australian coming into the tournament who's got a really good shot, it, it's going to be a very heartfelt win with the devastation that's occurring in Australia at the moment. So, you know, she, this is the first time she's coming into the Australian open as, as the world number one, she looks good. And I think it would be an amazing cap to her story to, to win it there. You know, she's, she's the front runner in my opinion and Ashley Barty handles pressure better than anybody else you know she takes it in stride she doesn't really get upset about pressure heading into any tournament so she just kind of you know lets things roll off her back and and I don't think she's going to really feel such tremendous pressure going into the Australian Open she looks she looks fantastic and I would take her as the front runner this year
0: yeah, she'll really be one to watch for sure. And of course, when it comes to women's tennis, we have to talk about Coco Gauff. Another first major experience going down to Australia for the first time. What do you think Coco Gauff can accomplish here after having successful runs at the for, at her first two slams?
4: Well, I think she can uh, continue to for her star to continuously shine, that's for sure. She's risen to a career high of 66, and she is one of the, few younger players who really thrives on the big stage. I mean, you know you've got a star in making when she just doesn't feel the pressure. I don't know if it's youth or exuberance or what, whatever, but it's infectious and and she's showing her best when she gets to the big stage. So she has the confidence in spades and that's going to get her very, very far. She won her first WTA title last year, so that's a huge confidence boost as if she didn't need more confidence than she already has and she and she became one of the youngest players to win a WTA title so that's extremely exciting at 15 um, I think we can continue to see very big things from her and she's been keeping a healthy um, clear head on her shoulders she's uh, it doesn't seem like the the burst of fame is, is getting to her head, you know, she really ha- seems to have like a very healthy mental focus. And you know, as part of the age restriction, she doesn't have a lot of tournament experience at this level, but you wouldn't know it. She's got loads of confidence and she's got the audience in her palm every time she plays. So I think we can expect to, to keep seeing her progress very well in the slams and I think she's going to hit another breakthrough this year for sure.
0: Yeah, I'll be excited to see what she does this year. We talk about some, four big names. You have some sleepers on the women's side as well you're watching.
4: Uh well, I have um you know, I I was very disappointed to see that BB Andreescu is has withdrawn. So that's a big disappointment on that end because if you were to look at last year, you would really say that that was her year. I mean, she made so many breakthroughs, and if you look at the beginning of the year, where she came from, so I was expecting her to be the front runner going into Australia. But you know she's inconsistent with her in terms of her injury. They her hard hitting game does take a toll, so she's out already. So that's disappointing. But I've been I've got my eye on Carolina Plushkova, who just won in Brisbane. So she's and she's the world number two. She's looking fantastic. Um, I think that uh, Belinda Benchich is uh, into the – she's already into the quarters in Adelaide, and she's – again, she's going to be playing my, my other favorite player, Daniel Collins, on the American side. So I think those two women, uh, Daniel Collins, who has been amazing at the since the beginning of this year, just confidence, 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 and Benchich looks Super strong. I've got my eye on both those women, and uh, Bencic also. She won the Kremlin Cup last year, and she's already moved up to the world number seven spot. So she's she's looks terrific. You know, you can never count out Simona Halep. She won two finals, and uh, she she was in the finals last year. So she looks she's looking for her third slam. So you can never count her out. She's number four in the world. And I would definitely keep an eye out on her, even if she doesn't look as strong as perhaps she did last year. But I have to say from an emotional standpoint, you know, my heart will always like to see players go out on top. So I would of course love for Caroline Wozniacki to win another title as her swan song. since she's retiring right after Melbourne. That would be nice. Um, You know, she's, she won there that was her maiden slam it has a a huge emotional impact for her it would be lovely to see her win there again even though i do believe she's a long shot my heart would like her to win but uh, my mind also says that uh, american amanda anistimova is also a rising star and she's definitely one of those a little bit under the radar to, to keep an eye out
0: for yeah some good names there let's put some picks on the record here so If you had to make a pick for the men's and women's side, who was going to win? Who would you go with?
4: I would say Novak Djokovic on the men's side. He was phenomenal at the ATP Cup. He's won it seven times. He's going for a record eighth, going against his own record. Uh, So I would say he looks the strongest, to be honest. Uh, It doesn't seem like the younger players have the kind of drive or confidence really to to beat him on on a best of 5 sets. So I would pick him on the men's side with perhaps uh Medvedev or uh Federer just just under under him. And then for the women's uh my heart goes to Ashley Barty and I think that uh she's going to win on home turf as well.
0: Yeah, I agree but with I
4: do think that Serena Williams has a very good chance of make of at least making the final in uh, Australia.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on the Djokovic pick. I think this is his slam to lose. He just owns that that slam. I would not be surprised to see it again. I'm going to go with Serena here. I feel like she's been knocking on the door too many times. In fact, she's got a win under her belt already. I think she is going to pull it off here in, tie court on, in court's home country.
4: Oh, sure. She's got a, a great chance for sure.
0: All right. There you have it. Our Australian Open Preview with Veronica Bruno from Fanside. Before I let you go, do you want to let everybody know how to find on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to?
4: Sure. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram, but um, I, the next project for me is I put on my other hat and I'm uh, covering uh, entertainment. Uh, I'm reviewing the movies and screening the movies over at Sundance Festival next week, so I'm – very very excited to attend my first sundance festival
0: all right there you have it veronica thanks for all the time i really appreciate
4: it. sure thanks for having me again
0: all right and that will do for this week's show i want to thank my guest matt Verderam for calling in and talk nfl playoffs ian Sachs for hopping in the studio to do the nfl picks for conference championship weekend and for veronica bruno taking the time to call in and talk about the australian open if you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my appearance on St- John Stanko's podcast, Stanko Stance, to talk about the worst 10 movies of the previous decade, check out the blog over justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You're going to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Catch up on all of the episodes there. Just search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can go back in the archives, listen to some episodes, including the extra one this week with the baseball beat, talking about the Astros' science-stealing scandal how it cost him, A.J. Hinch, Carlos Beltran, Alex Cora, their jobs, and more. Be sure to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. I beg you guys, please do that. It means a lot to get the podcast noticed with the star ratings. Feedback also makes the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's mphilips 331, And tweet me with the hashtag fakepunt at the end of this week's episode. Again, hashtag fakepunt. Next week, we will recap the conference championship. We start to look at the heads of the Super Bowl. Talk some baseball Hall of Fame. Derek Jeter is gonna get in, no matter if he's unanimous or not. We'll talk some more sports gambling. I got a good guest lined up for that and more. Until then, I'll be a better week than Texans fans.